Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And the Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports. In print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And the Bloomington Health Foundation, this September hosting the 20th running of Hoosiers Outrun Cancer, a 5K run-slash-walk supporting those in the community facing a cancer diagnosis. Registration and more at HoosiersOutrunCancer.org. From the Milton Metz studio in the Radio TV building at Indiana University, welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, your host, along with host Sarah Whitmire from WFIU and WTIU. Today we're going to talk about single-family zoning and affordable housing. Cities across the country are struggling to provide affordable housing options as home prices continue to climb. Places such as Minneapolis have tried to address this by dissolving single-family zoning categories so that rentable multiplexes can be built in those neighborhoods. And now Bloomington is looking to address some of those same issues through its Unified Development Ordinance. And some residents are worried that those changes will threaten their single-family homes and their neighborhoods. So this week, that's what we're going to be talking about with four guests that we have here, uh, three in the studio and one joining us by phone. Uh, in the studio, we have Joe Hoffman, um, member of the, the Bloomington Plan Commission, longtime member of the Plan Commission, and a member of the Unified Development Ordinance um, Zoning Commi- uh, Advisory Committee. Mayor John Hamilton is with us today. Also, Dave Harstad, a member of the Bloomington Board of Realtors. And we're being joined by phone from a city council member-elect, Kate Rosenbarger. So thank you all for being here. And if you want to join the conversation, you can give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can follow us at Noon Edition. So this is, uh, I mean, a lot of you have been involved with this for a while, and this is really kind of a change in philosophy when it comes to single-family zoning from the way things have have, uh, been in Bloomington and elsewhere. I think, uh, as I mentioned, Minneapolis is making some changes. The state of Oregon just passed legislation that would would prohibit single-family zoning in cities uh, that are 10,000 and above. There may be some stipulations in there that I'm not aware of. So Bloomington is trying to do some things, and there's already been – we've had a lot of chatter on Facebook about this issue. I, I will say some, you know, some people are in favor of it, don't think you're going far enough. Some people are opposed to it. We do have one clip I want to play. This is from uh, David Warren, who's a consultant uh, for Cardinal Analytics in Bloomington, and he teaches classes at SPIA called uh, Urban Problems and Solutions. So let's listen to his comment. Um, I, I, first of all, I, I think that the proposed UDO is still, you know, it, it's a step in the right direction. Um, I'm happy that the city is um, is proposing uh, these new rules. I, I just think that given the, the affordability need and the desire for more environmentally sustainable cities and more inclusive cities and a desire to, to broaden the tax base, I, I think the new UDO could you know, it could go a little further uh, than it does. Well, let's let's talk about that. And Joe Hoffman, I want to ask you to talk first just about what's in the UDO that that is causing this uh, discussion. Well, I, I think the the you know Mr. Warren's uh, comments are are aimed primarily at the the new proposed UDOs um, in uh, new zoning category that would allow um, as of right. Um, parcels that are currently perhaps occupied by a single-family house um, to be converted into um, duplex, triplex, quadplex, and so forth. Now, this isn't um, – uh, we're not doing what Oregon did or what, what um, Minneapolis did. Um, we're certainly not getting rid of single-family zoning. But, uh, but the proposed UDO would broaden um, the range of things that can be done in certain – areas that are otherwise uh, designated as single-family areas. Okay. It's, it's, it's an effort to bring back what 
planning gurus talk about as the missing middle, the kind of housing that used to be pretty common in um, cities across America um, that's sort of between single-family housing and apartment buildings. Now, Kate Rosenberger, I know this was an issue that you talked about a lot during your during the campaign, isn't that right? Yep, we did talk about single-family zoning versus adding in some small-scale multifamily. Uh-huh. It was a big issue. And why... why mm-hmm. Why do you think it's a good idea to do that? So I think it's a good idea for two really big overarching reasons. One is increasing equity in our city, and one is um, taking climate action in Bloomington. Like like Joe said, we, we are really missing that middle housing that is affordable homes either to rent or buy by a large part of our population. So adding in opportunities to buy a condo in a four-unit building in a walkable neighborhood is something we really don't have right now. And so we're leaving people out of that opportunity to build wealth, um, either by home ownership or renting something closer to town. Um, And then, of course, for climate action, if we get people, if we get more people in walkable areas, we're helping the environment as well. All right. So I want to ask Dave Harstad, who's from the Bloomington Board of Realtors, this, uh, are these good changes? You know, the devil's always in the details. <laughs> uh, but look, the big picture here is that we've had the longest economic expansion in our country that, that we've had over the last nine years. Population in the United States has grown by something like 19 or 18 million people. And the reality of it is, is that we need more housing. It's really a pretty simple problem. And Hats off to people like Joe and the mayor for trying to figure out how to solve it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and Mayor John Hamilton, so you've been talking about affordable housing since the, well, since long before you stepped into the mayor's office. So, but this is, seems to be sort of a new strategy. Isn't that right? Well, um, yes. Affordable housing has been a key issue for me, for our community. Um, I heard it all when I was running. I hear it every every place I go. People... We all know Bloomington is the most expensive housing market in the state of Indiana. It's true for rental and for ownership. People want to live here. A thousand people a year move to Bloomington, and they need to live in different places, new places. Uh, it's a, it is a challenge, and change is hard. Uh, change change is difficult. Uh, it's challenging to to all of us, um, but we have to evolve as a as a community. And that includes physically evolve. And so as we looked at the as, – as I agree with everything everybody said. I think they're right on target. And the new zoning ordinance, which is going to – it's got a lot of public process to go through. But one of the things it's looking at is how do we, how do we help more people live in our single-family, traditional single-family neighborhoods. The only thing I'll add that hasn't been mentioned is it's important to remember – it's painful sometimes, but it's important to remember that some of our zoning history, some of our some of our land use and building patterns were based on really bad exclusionary principles. Some of them racist, some of them class and economic exclusion, trying to create zones where only a certain type of housing existed and, and in our history it was even only a certain kind of people lived. And cities continue to need to recover and welcome the inclusive, diverse, mixed, dynamic uh, neighborhoods that we want to see in a community. Mm-hmm. We got a question from Tim Miller, um, and I think this is probably a question a lot of folks have. What rules will be put in place to ensure that multifamily units proposed to be allowed in the single-family zones will be affordable to families and guard against students really just displacing students? I might say Tim is a former plan director of the city of Bloomington. <laughs> very, very familiar, and, and appreciate Tim's question. Um, so, um, I don't think we're yet at uh, rest in terms of the proposed change that we're discussing in the proposed UDO. Um, I think we have a ways to go yet before we get to the point where we have worked out the details, as as was mentioned a minute ago. Um, I think we're going to have to work very hard over the next couple of months to try to figure out how to address this precise problem. So, you know, affordable housing is a problem in urban areas across the United States and indeed in in much of the world. We are not alone in this. 
Um, part of the problem, I want to sort of just put it out on the table. It's not our topic for today, but it's maybe a topic for another noon edition. Um, part of the problem is wealth inequality, which we know has gotten worse over time. Um, and that that is half of the problem, right? Affordable housing is, is both about the price of the housing and it's about whether people make enough money at their jobs to be able to afford that housing. Um, that's partly why this is a universal problem in urban areas across the nation. Um, the, the, um, the additional problem that Bloomington has that makes us a little different from a lot of other urban areas is the fact that we are dominated by a university. We're a university town. It's by far, you know, it's our largest employer. It has a great impact on um, land use in Bloomington. Um, that means that we cannot, in my view, and I'm only speaking for myself, you know, the plan commission hasn't met to discuss this uh, proposal yet. Um, but in my view, that means we have to try to come up with some creative ways to prevent the un unanticipated and, and unwanted consequence of this change in our zoning code simply opening the door to um, student housing developers. Um, we have another part of the proposed code that I firmly support that is meant to try to encourage certain kinds of student housing developments in certain locations. But we can't let the missing middle be taken over for the purpose of high-end student housing. And, um, you know, I've been through this process of um, writing a new comprehensive plan and, and drafting a new zoning ordinance. I think this is now the fourth time um, that I've been on the commission. And each time we're dealing with whatever our big issue is at the time. You know, the first time when I first went on the commission, the big issue was um, sprawling commercial development on the east side. It was the expansion of College Mall. Um, then later, it was about uh, housing sprawl, how to try to produce a more compact urban form. That was the second time around. The third time around, it was about student housing permeating core neighborhoods and also about how do we get our downtown to be a more vibrant, economically uh, viable area. Each time, we're dealing with a problem, but we can't have the solution to that problem create a new problem. And I think Mr. Miller's question is exactly on point. I think we're going to have to think very carefully about what kinds of limits we can place on the um, creation of these new um, missing middle housing types so that it doesn't end up being a backdoor way for putting more student housing into core neighborhoods. And might I just add, I mean, lest you uh, are unaware, if anybody's unaware, of the importance of planning uh, the growth policies plans and the zoning ordinances, every time there was a, an issue to address, and as Joe said, the solutions were implemented. So these are not just documents that sit on a shelf. No, the reason we have the reason we have West Side commercial development today is because we adopted a new master plan and a new zoning ordinance that said we don't want it to be um, continually expanding College Mall on the east side. And that's a lot of the reason uh, we the have reason all the we downtown. Have, the reason we have student housing downtown or in the near downtown and such a vibrant downtown is because we encourage that and discourage that, that kind of development elsewhere. So, yeah, this stuff matters. Mm -hmm. All right. We have a phone call. We're going to go to uh, Peter on the phone. Peter? Yes. Hi. Hi. Uh, Peter Dorfman. I, I live in the near west side, and uh, this is one of the... Uh, um, core neighborhoods that is uh, the center of the bullseye for uh, the zoning change that would take areas like this that were, were zoned 100 years ago. Uh, I'm sorry, they were zoned in the 70s, but they were built and laid out 100 years ago for uh, single-family housing. Now they would be asked to accept um, multifamily dwellings, and uh, th there's a lot of concern in this neighborhood about its ability to absorb that kind of density. Uh, as I say, the streets are, are old. They're 23 feet wide, which means that if you have on-street parking, two cars can't comfortably pass one another. Uh, and there's competition for parking already. Uh, there's, we, we don't really know whether the sewer system here in old neighborhoods like this could absorb new density. And uh, we're being asked to accept it. And my question is why, honestly? Uh, Bloomington is not like the larger cities that you've been talking about. It's not running out of space. 
there's plenty of room to develop within the city limits of Bloomington. Uh, you know, take for example the hospital site, which is going to open up in a couple of years. And we also, if you look at the zoning map, we have large areas south of downtown that are, are designated planned uh, uh, planned unit development (PUD). Huge areas of, of very sparsely developed land that could be developed into intentional neighborhoods that could intelligently absorb this mixed-middle housing. Uh, so my question is, why is there this urgency to open up neighborhoods that are, frankly, dense enough now? Let me ask uh, Kate Rosenberger to weigh on this, and she is she will be your new city council member. Uh, thanks. So, I mean, I could touch on a lot of things. Two things I said earlier I, I would say are very relevant here. Um, you know, we're facing the real threat of climate change in this world, and building in places where people only have access via single occupancy vehicle is not helping to take steps toward climate action. So really looking at our neighborhoods that are walkable and, you know, transit is there already for access to jobs, uh, schools, and other resources, I think is really important in order to say, hey, we're taking climate change seriously and we're letting more folks live in our neighborhoods. I think that Prospect Hill, what I've heard is it used to have 500 more people living in it. And just over time, our family, the way we raise families is different. So now a lot of a lot of parents want one bedroom per child, and that's not our homes in Prospect Hill. But the data point there is that we used to have a lot more people in our neighborhoods, actually, with lots of kids and bedrooms. So for that, I think we can handle more people moving in. Um, and as Mayor Hamilton spoke earlier, the equity issue that we are excluding a lot of people from living in our core neighborhood by only now allowing single family homes to be built, um, I think is an issue. And some people have talked about, we are zoned single family, but all of our neighborhoods are not exclusively single family, right? Like we have a lot of duplexes, triplexes, and small apartment buildings even in Prospect Hill. And so I think just reverting to the way it used to be is okay. Mayor? Yeah, I, I agree with Kate. I think, um, you know, Kate was very active. The, the, again, change is hard. And, and Peter, you're right that there are a lot of opportunities to address these issues. It is not only through the change of single-family zoning in the UDO. You're right that it is it is about redeveloping the hospital there. That's why the city bought that hospital 24 acres, so that we can create some uh, terrific downtown, well-connected, mixed, uh, diverse, inclusive neighborhoods. Transit's important. Um, you know, Kate kind of referenced there are young people moving to Bloomington. It's very difficult to buy a house uh, for many young people, young families who want to live close to downtown. Joe mentioned the student pressures, which is part of that, and we have to we have to manage that. But the, I, I guess for my seat, all of the all of these things need to be pushed forward at the same time to try to create an inclusive, sustainable. Uh, mixed uh, mixed uh, neighborhood uh, a city and in in it, it change is hard i'll just keep saying that but change is constant and um, we we really do want to keep talking about how to manage this well dave i'm just curious just folks that you talk to is there a real interest in things like duplexes because it just seems like that idea of i want a single family home still really exists. I think particularly when you think of a place like Indiana, you don't think I'm going to not be able to afford that. Right. You know, as realtors, we strongly believe that we desperately need, you know, moderately priced owner-occupied housing options throughout our county. That certainly includes single-family houses both in the core and in in new neighborhoods on, on the fringe. Um, but we also um, see a strong demand for um, uh, townhomes, which are we don't have much of in this uh, in this county. Um, you know, I think I, I used to chair the preservation commission. I think some of the most beautiful homes in core neighborhoods and university courts there are gorgeous duplexes, and those are great home ownership opportunities for people to essentially have, you know, the second side of your building to pay for your house payment, and that helps build wealth. And uh, so 
we, we are not solely advocates for only single-family housing. We believe in a wide variety of housing, owner-occupied housing choices and, and options throughout the community. We think it's good for the community, and we think it's good for the owners themselves. Peter, do you have something you want to add? Yeah, I do. Okay. Um, the argument in favor of, of this, uh, particularly with respect to these core neighborhoods, has long been that uh, opening up the area to apartment development would create affordable housing. And I have to push back on that. Um, I, I believe you could add 10,000 new apartments to Bloomington. And out on the periphery of the city, the, the cost might go down a little bit because the market's a little softer out there. But any apartments that you build in, in walkable neighborhoods like the near west side are going to go at market rate. I mean, you can't do new construction, which, which is basically what we're talking about. We're talking about demolishing existing houses and putting up duplexes, triplexes, and quads. Um, you can't build that way and create affordable housing. Um, the only really w- way that you can do affordable housing in a neighborhood like this is by duplexing existing houses. And we have duplexes and triplexes grandfathered into the neighborhood. And uh, there is a perfectly rational process right now for duplexing existing houses. It happens to be conditional. But it doesn't, it's, it's not so onerous that that isn't a manageable process. And I think mostly people are, 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 don't object to that idea in this neighborhood. At least I can only speak for the near west side. But opening up this area for demolition of houses for, to put in you know, modern triplexes and, and quads, um, that, that's a process that would, uh, number one, disturb the, the culture of the neighborhood. It would create density where, where density really can't necessarily be accommodated, and none of that density would be affordable. So the argument that, that this support does anything for affordable housing is, I, I think it's, it's disappearing. People are, star, are, are no longer defending the, this proposal on that basis. All right. We're going to very, very quickly. And then we're going to let the mayor respond very quickly. Sure. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Well, uh, Peter, you you know, you, you make a lot of important points. And I think again, um, as Joe pointed out, this, this is an evolution of a process. I like to remind people, I want this uh, UDO to be a three-ring binder. It can, it, it, we can pull a page out. It doesn't mean it's fixed for 10 years. We're trying this stuff. It is really important to address this. I will note, I just got the data. We have 618 duplexes in the city of Bloomington right now and 85 triplexes. Um, there's no reason we should stop at that. We just need to manage it right. But more people are coming to our community every day, and we need to figure out how to help make that an inclusive uh, process and a welcoming process so that can, Bloomington can continue to thrive as a, as a diverse and inclusive community. All right. We're going to take a, we're gonna have to take a short break. So, Peter, we really appreciate all your comments and your call. Thank you very much. Um, we're talking about affordable housing. We're talking about zoning uh, regulations and the UDO today on Noon Edition. We'll be right back. From the Milton Met Studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. WFIU News covers south-central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIU News. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live, and you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, along with Sarah Whitmire, and we're talking about uh, single-family zoning. It's been an issue around the country, and, and Bloomington is certainly no exception. We have four guests with us today. Joe Hoffman is a member of the Bloomington Plan Commission, and he is uh, advisory committee member of the Unified Development Ordinance. And John Hamilton, the mayor of Bloomington, is here with us. Also, Kate Rosenbarger is joining us by phone. She has been recently has been elected to the city council. Will start in her new position in January. And also, Dave Harstad from the Bloomington Board of Realtors. If you have questions or comments. 
please phone us at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions, news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. I think first we want to talk about this issue that the caller brought up about teardowns right before the end, before we took a break. Joe, do you want to? Yeah, let me just say more generally, you know, I I look to my left and I see the mayor and I see someone who's very prominent in the real estate community. And, you know, I sit on the plan commission and I've done it for more than 30 years. And I've always thought that part of my job was to listen to everybody who has concerns like the ones that, that that Peter just raised, um, and and to try to achieve some kind of, of harmony and balance, which means um, I often have the real estate people mad at me, or I often have the mayor mad at me, or maybe city council mad at me, but I think that's part of my job. And I think, um, you know, this concern about whether this new um, sort of loosening of the restrictions in certain single-family zones might lead to widespread teardowns is a serious concern. And I think it's, again, one of those details that we have to address as this UDO goes forward into the public hearing process. I think we're going to have to figure out whether we can tweak it in a way that can minimize um, the scope of that concern. Because there's nothing in there now that says you can't just buy – a developer we, couldn't we, buy up a bunch of these. And... Well, we have some restrictions okay. on, on teardowns, on demolition uh, in certain parts of the city already. But we may have to think about whether we put in something special um, f- because we're creating an incentive perhaps for that kind of teardown in this kind of zone. In some of these neighborhoods, we're talking about the near west side or neighborhoods where no sort of duplexes exist. What effect do you think this might have on those existing home values, Dave? All of a sudden, one of those is next door that could partially be used for a rental or anything like that. Yeah. Well, um, again, the devil's in the details. And it goes back to, you know, um, you know, if this rezoning leads to a dormification of our core neighborhoods, we failed. I honestly don't think that anybody wants that result. And so it will really come down to how we tailor the regulations to make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, because if it does happen, it will impact values for sure. And hats off to the owners for in those neighborhoods for, for standing up and being great advocates for their neighborhoods. Having said that, um, as you know, I go back to the central point that we really, really need more owner-occupied housing options in this city. And we need to have uh, a Swiss Army knife of options available rather than, you know, just one or two options. Can I, can I add the accessory dwelling units is another one that, that I know this current administration has pushed very hard for that. And that has application throughout the city, not just in core neighborhoods. And that's another way to perhaps uh, make mm-hmm. uh, to facilitate um, home ownership, make it more affordable if you can have a, a carriage house or a granny flat. Um, and again, there are risks, and they have to be carefully thought about and carefully managed. But that's another way to achieve uh, more housing. All right. We have several calls. I think our next caller was named Jan, if I'm not mistaken. Jan? Hello, Jan. Are you there? Okay. Let's go see if Chris is there. Chris? Chris is here. Hi, Chris. Go ahead. Hey, um you know, Kate is going to replace me on city council. It's Chris Sturbaum. Mm-hmm. But Hello. that doesn't change the, the laws of real estate. I was going to say he is almost 70% rental. And that we were talking about what are the cost implications of the property values. When you upzone a property, it's going to cost more. An investor is going to go, oh, I can get more out of this. So now the single person who, the family that wants to move in, is now going to bid against investors who will target all these little new properties that are going to be upzoned and buy them, whether they're local buyers or they're buying for an international investment group. Uh, we'd be competing, and we're going to change the 70% to 80% rental. It's like we're living in a closed box. We need to build more stuff, and we need to build the missing middle and not take apart these existing single-family neighborhoods that are a treasure. There's plenty of room to build rentals on South College. There's plenty of room to build rentals on corridors. That's what we talked about before this plan evolved at the comprehensive plan. And we need to do the work 
with an army knife, not a sledgehammer. So <laughs> we have to be very careful about our zoning and just blanket changes. Like, we haven't even talked about the basically the getting rid of five unrelated and making that all high residential. That's going to just impact all kinds of demolition near the near the university. So, um, can you, Chris? Can you talk a little bit more about that option? You said getting rid of the five unrelated. Right. That that in the proposed zoning of the law right now, uh, in the proposed UDO, the five unrelated is going to basically turn into residential high density, which just means. You can do almost anything in that zone. And those are those, you know, historic large houses that are surrounding campus, surrounding, that haven't been protected historically, but it's going to be open season on those properties, too. So we have just made, there's a couple pages in the UDO where it just shows the new zoning, uh, what happens in the new zoning. And it's difficult to interpret. It's difficult to figure out what the implications are those going to be, but I've watched the city for 50 years, and it took me a long time to figure out what these things mean, but I think they mean dynamite, and I think they do threaten single-family zoning as well as this residential, uh, uh, higher residential zone. Okay, let's go to, uh, Kate, do you want to respond? I, I mean, I think Chris makes some good points, and, you know, we, I think we have to look at all options for increasing supply of housing in Bloomington. It's true that we do have places along our corridors where we can add housing. We can do that on um, College and Walnut, south of town, and some other major arteries. I don't, you know, I don't think that's a horrible option, but what I will say is those are our most polluted spots. Right, and those are places where cars move the fastest. So it's not necessarily putting, giving opportunities for lower income people to live in neighborhoods that they feel proud to call home. I mean, we can work on that and help make neighborhood hubs and slow traffic and, you know, look at two-waying some one-ways that go really fast to make more, more of a neighborhood feel. And I think that is definitely option. I would also say, I mean, Peter talked about this a little bit, too, but, you know, our city is 25 square miles, and a lot of the edges outside of the core, right, those aren't really walkable, and they're not transit-oriented. So another option we have is getting our city entirely walkable and transit-oriented with buses that come every 15 minutes. And then if we do that, it's attractive to also live two miles from town, right, or two miles from IU because you can easily get to campus. Um, in the 2010 census, it said that we have about 30, just over 30, back then, over 33,000 housing units with 94% occupancy. And like, that number means we have a serious, um, we're in serious need of new housing, right? And so either we can increase our housing supply to keep up with demand, or we can let market prices dictate who owns the house and who doesn't. So, I mean, I think we're in such need of more housing that it needs to be everywhere. And I, I don't think it should just be in the core. I think every neighborhood should be available for adding density. Um, and then we make every space more walkable and transit friendly. All right. Now, the mayor wants to respond. I just, I just want to make two quick points. Um, obvious, but one, they're, they're really two ways to increase uh, the affordability of housing. And this, one is you increase supply uh, so that your demand is more matched. Or two, you have particular programs that create affordable housing, which we do both of those things in the city. Uh, and, they're, and they're challenging and they're hard, and the federal support for affordable housing is going way down. But we have to work both on the supply side and on the strategy of affordable programs. And the second point I just make is, it's to me. It's kind of like climate change. And climate change is a is a is a calamity coming at us, and we have to kind of have an all of the above strategy. We have to try lots of things, and we have to pursue lots of avenues because it's a huge challenge. 
I really think about affordable housing the same way. We need an all-of-the-above strategy. We need, we need to try a lot of different things. Some of them are going to work well. Some of them won't work well. Some of them have unintended consequences. We have to have a three-ring binder that says if a year from now we find it's working in ways we don't like, let's change it. But, but all-of-the-above uh, strategy of trying to make, you know, Bloomington needs to have inclusive. The, the comp plan calls on affordability, compact form, diverse types of housing in multimodal transit. And, we, and it's complicated to do that, but we've got to try lots of different things. Chris, we're going to have to let... To respond to, yeah, the, but, to, the, to the cost impact of upzoning a neighborhood and how that will actually price out potential home buyers and lessen the availability of single-family homes. Why don't we add and not subtract? There are plenty of places to add why cannibalize and subtract from our single-family zone area to get more rental, but when we're taking away one of those things that the city needs most of all, and that the people who want to live in apartments for a while while they're young will want to have a house to raise a family when they get older. But it'll, they'll be all gone because we turn them into rentals, and they'll have to go to Bedford and Bloom, Bloomfield and Ellettsville. So that's... I'd like a response from a All right. real we'll, estate professional on that. We'll get, we'll get Dave to respond, yeah. but I'm going to have to let you go, Chris. We've got three other callers waiting to talk to us. I'm so, good. Okay, Thank thanks, Chris. Yeah, uh, Chris is one of my heroes. He's done so many great things. I really truly mean that. He's done so many great things for this town, and I wholeheartedly agree with him, and the realtors whole, wholeheartedly agree with him, that we need more options for single-family houses to be built throughout our county. If you look at the statistics this year, I just, look, I just researched them yesterday. Year-to-date, we've got 112 single-family building permits that have been pulled in Monroe County. That applies throughout the county. If you look at the city's planning documentation for you know, their comp plan, the, uh, the goal is to have 12,000 additional new housing units in our county by 2040. So that's something like five to 600 housing units per year. So you think that we've only pulled 114 single-family units uh, permits this year, and we need you know, five to 600, you know, unless everyone's going to live in apartments, we're not building enough single-family houses that people can own or occupy. Okay, we're going to go next. Uh, I believe we're going to Jan next. Jan? Hello. Hello, Jan. Go ahead. Hi. Uh, last time, I guess, I got dropped. Yeah. Um, my name is Jan Sorby, and um, I'm a real big uh, uh, proponent of the missing middle. I grew up in duplexes, and um, every time I go back to visit family in St. Louis, uh, I, I just marvel at the fourplexes that exist, 1920s fourplexes, that exist in the neighborhoods in uh, St. Louis. And my husband and I own a, a lot um, in a residential multifamily and have been trying to build a fourplex uh, for about three years now. And um, there is a reason why they are not being built. And it is not economically feasible to be building fourplexes today. And there are several reasons why this is, is true. Um, uh, so we're in a RM zone, um, which is permitted right now for the smaller type of multifamily. So the property is zoned properly. But um, when you flip from a duplex or a, a, a two-unit to a three-unit, uh, what happens is you are flipping to the commercial code. And the commercial code requires a lot different things than a residential code. For example, you flip into a requirement for an ADA unit, which adds an expense. And then you also flip over into requirements for uh, sprinkling the unit, which adds an expense. And the sprinkling of that unit requires a, a snorkel in front or in back of the unit, which is very expensive, and it requires um, uh, a monthly cost, and it also requires um, a separate phone line to monitor it. And then um, it also in, uh, requires a different kind of insurance. And the insurance is kind of a donut hole between um, commercial insurance and residential. And it's not easy to find, and it's very, very expensive. And when you have, let's say, 
50 units, all of those expenses are sort of uh, divided out and um, it's mitigated over that kind of uh, um, spread out. So we've been looking at this, and it's just not feasible. And the units, um, I won't get bogged down in the expenses, but we did um, uh, all the work at getting a design for it, and we went through looking at the cost for it, and it's, it, the units would not be affordable. So we can't do it. It just would not work. Uh-huh. Um, let me ask. Let me ask Joe Hoffman to weigh in here. Are, are there solutions through planning for this? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, <laughs> the the you know missing middle started to disappear in this country for a variety of reasons. Zoning was one of the biggest reasons, and Mayor Hamilton alluded to that in one of his first comments here. Um, but the problems that Jan is talking about are not problems we can solve through the through the UDO. Um, and they're going to take a debate on a whole other level, whether it's state law, whether it's um, you know dealing with the insurance industry and so forth and so on. Um, there are a lot of reasons why building, um, say, a fourplex um, is so much more expensive today than it would have been in 1920, even in comparative dollars. Um, but but the UDO is not going to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. Another problem I think that is existing today, too, is a lot of people are not looking at the RM zoning, which is the residential multifamily zone, and it is disappearing. A lot of times developers will go to um, plan commission whatnot, and they'll say, oh, I could upzone this to a residential um, uh, multifamily, a, a higher zone. And our our M zone has been disappearing to a, a higher category, and so basically that's been gobbling or been gobbled up. And a lot of those that have been uh, uh, developed have been going to duplexes, which is probably a good thing because it's a a small uh, form of multifamily, and it gives people other options. Um, that don't want to live in, you know, huge student complexes. More adult people live in that kind of housing, which is good. But our um, RM is disappearing to a higher category. And I think that people should start looking seriously at protecting the RM as well as single-family zones. All right. Joe Joe wants to respond, then Jan, we're going to have to let you go. We've got uh, several more people that want to get on today. Well, again, I want to agree with with Jan's point about this. Look, you know, zoning code is a blunt instrument in a lot of ways. Um, What gets built is is decided by, not by the zoning and planning people, but by the development community. They respond to incentives that are created by the zoning code um, and incentives that are created by other other forces, whether they're economic, whether they're legal, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the best we can do with a zoning code is try to realign the incentives in ways that we think will encourage more of what we'd like to have and uh, perhaps discourage the things that we don't want. And that's what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, but it's hard, and it's a blunt instrument. We got a question from Michelle wondering what guarantees what what guarantees will the city government provide to assure that any new housing built in the core neighborhoods will be affordable? Um, she goes on to say she's lived in Bloomington for 26 years and talks about developers and builders getting special treatment from the city to include affordable housing. And then in a few years, it's no longer affordable and they only add a tiny number of units. She's wondering how the developers will benefit from this change in zoning and how much they've contributed. I think she means to the mayor's fund. Oh, the affordable housing fund? The discretionary fund and local political campaigns. Well, that's a (laughs) – let me – Michelle is right to uh, ask questions. I think um, when I came into office three and a half years ago, I – believed and continue to believe that Bloomington didn't do enough to incentivize and or um, steer 
the private development community into supporting affordable housing as well. Um, we've, we've through through a bunch of different programs, and there's not time to talk about them all, we've done 600 units of affordable housing in the last three years. We focus on long-term affordability because it is right to point out that if you create affordable units for five years or 10 years or 15 years, that feels pretty good for that period of time. But when they go away, you're, you're right back where you started. And so we've committed, like working with Habitat and 40 new homes going to be around Switchyard Park. We've, we've created long-term affordable home ownership right next to a brand-new park. Um, our goal, I, I think, I know mine, and I think the community's goal is not to help the development community do well at our expense. Our goal is to steer the development community into helping the community do well uh, as, as others uh, do investments in our community. And the new UDO, we don't have time to talk about at all, but for example, it will have significant incentives for uh, creating affordable housing for the development community to do. That's really important to do. Uh, I think these are really good questions, important questions. Uh, affordable housing is not free. Uh, we have to, it's one of the reasons the city buys property, like buying the hospital ground will be a place for us to do a lot of long-term uh, permanently affordable housing. So, again, it's kind of all of the above solutions, um, uh, trying things out. I don't want to get into the position that Minneapolis and, and Oregon have gotten into where you have to do drastic responses because of the pressures of, of affordability. All right. We, we've got two more calls. We're going to try to get them both in. Wendy is next. Wendy? Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. I just want to um, thank Peter Dorfman and Chris Durbaum for what they've said, because I come from that perspective. I fully support and wish for more preservation of the fine old housing stock that Bloomington has. And I can't help but think about change versus loss. I think we can make changes without further losing so much of the character of Bloomington that I've known since the 1970s and seen disappear in the recent past. So I am very much about you don't know what you've got till it's gone, and so <laughs> much is already gone in Bloomington that it's essential that when we consider change, we don't create so much loss of the character of this brilliant, still charming town. So, um, I very much like the idea of keeping the houses in the core neighborhood. Don't tear them down. We've already lost one in our neighborhood that was scaled to the neighborhood and has been replaced by a McMansion. So, I think it's essential that people consider that if you tear down lots of old houses, you're wasting a whole lot of fine materials and craftsmanship. You can't get the beautiful old hardwoods as easily as you used to. So it's, it's very sad to me to see what has already happened to this town. I think adaptively using existing homes, I'd never heard the word duplexing before, but adding for... For older people who may end up not being able to walk the steps in their two-story houses, put a second-store living unit above and adapt the downstairs for the older family. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of potential to not waste what we already have. And I just want to point to some brick boxes on 2nd Street that totally changed the character of what was a beautiful old neighborhood up and down the east side. Thank you. All right, Wendy. Thanks a lot. Kate, I'm going to ask you if you want to uh, respond to this in any way. Sure. So, um, I, I mean, I live in Prospect Hill, and I live in a house built, you know, around 1905 or so, so a very old house. And uh, I definitely believe that our older homes, will always be or almost always be our most affordable homes in Bloomington. So building new is going to potentially free up some of these older homes in terms of like people buying them. I mean, Strong Towns has a wonderful article on the housing ecosystem that I is very analogous to um, like owning cars, right? Some people buy new cars. And that's okay. Other people can't afford new cars, so they buy a car that's like five years old. It's still a great car, and, you know, it just has more miles on it, and uh, maybe it needs new tires. So I think about that a lot in our housing market, that as we build new and increase our supply, 
it's most likely that the new builds are not going to be the affordable, if we're just talking market rate, are not going to be the affordable homes. But what will happen is people in older homes, right, will say, hey, you know what? I'm getting older. I don't want to maintain a home anymore, an old home. Like, let's buy this new home or the faucets don't leak and the doors don't squeak. And so we are freeing up some of that affordability by creating new a new supply. I would also say, right, in terms of the environment, it is the best to keep our older homes and either keep them as is or retrofit them even to be like solar on top, right, and just a little more environmentally friendly. But I'm definitely on board with Wendy that getting rid of a home is just a really big waste. And so there is a lot of benefit in keeping our homes and making sure people live in them while we are also increasing our density and increasing our housing supply throughout the city. All right, we've got less than 90 seconds to go, so I want to see if we can get Tim Miller on there for a quick comment. Tim? Tim, can you make a... What dominates this whole thing is the fact that we are a very unusual community in terms of the ratio of permanent residents to students. We're not analogous to many of the cities that are doing this kind of thing. Now, what this does to the market specifically is creates a a market force of groups of young people seeking to rent a unit to share. And they pay by the head. And the amount that each person is willing to pay has been going up year by year to the point where I don't even keep track of it. But uh, I stopped looking when it was around 600 bucks a head a month. Now, if you talk about, a, say, a duplex, and you're going to allow three unrelated adults per side, that's six people. If you're talking about five unrelated adults per side, that's ten people. You can do the math and see what kind of rent they would be willing to offer. My point, then, is that this will overwhelm the market. It will eliminate affordable housing. It will replace it with expensive housing catering to students, simply because that's the greatest return that the developer will get. All right. We, uh, Tim, we're, we're out of time. Going to okay. have to close you out. Okay. That's all right. Thank Thank, you. Thanks a lot. I'm sure there are a lot of people that wanted to respond to that, and they're going to be working on uh, on this issue because there are a lot of details yet to be worked out. But I want to thank everybody who called in today and our guests, Joe Hoffman, John Hamilton, the mayor of Bloomington, Kate Rosenbarger, and Dave Harstad. Uh, for Sarah Whitmire and for Mike Pashkash, our engineer, and Benta Boutier, our producer, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And The Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports. In print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And the Bloomington Health Foundation, this September hosting the 20th running of Hoosiers Outrun Cancer, a 5K run-slash-walk supporting those in the community facing a cancer diagnosis. Registration and more at hoosiersoutruncancer.org.